Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Casaglo. And today, we have an outstanding sales leader, the CRO over at User Interviews. Mark, it's Jessica Kleck, and why should people listen? Well, Jess and I competed against each other in the great sales loft versus outreach Star Wars. So... If you want to see us get into it and get like really ugly and like this podcast gets dirty, y'all, like I'm talking slinging mud, cussing at each other, you should listen. No, actually, Jess and I are good buddies. We've helped each other out several times throughout the years. But I think the main reason to listen to this one is simple. Jess shows you if you have a framework, you can do some really cool stuff. And you just need to sit down, think about what you want to anchor something to, figure out how you're going to run it with your reps, and then just get people to do it. And when you do that, you really get some good things and standardization going on that makes big difference in your production. Well, if Jess is Anakin Skywalker, you're Darth Vader. That unfortunately makes me Yoda with my ears. And so everyone enjoy the battle. A three, two, one, let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. All righty, Jess, welcome to the show. We start every show with your top three actionable leadership takeaways. Let's get your three. Rock and roll. All right. First one is coach the coach. 
So we created a guide of a matrix of questions that correspond to every sales stage in our sales process. We created this to standardize the way that our leaders were doing deal inspection. And we standardized this across each segment, so SMB, mid-market, enterprise. For us, our sales process has six stages, and we use MedPick across each of those stages. So for us, stage two looks like discovery. So a question or two might look like, what are the defined executive priority metrics? Who are we competing with? If the rep doesn't know the answer, that's okay. That's great. That means the leader has an action that they can point to immediately of go find out that information. But at the end of the week, each leader needs to sign off in Salesforce that they have asked these lists of standardized questions to make sure that the accuracy and the health of the pipeline is there. Great. What's number two? All right. Number two is called the Find the Red Framework. It's a framework that I've developed that I use in one-on-ones with my direct reports and with my cross-functional partners. It's helped me systematically identify what's working, which is great. We love to celebrate. But more importantly, we need to understand what's not working. And so the framework sort of looks like what's working, what's not, what's your plan to fix, and how can I help? Again, I do this with my directs and cross-functionals, and then I will stack rank each week the list of red that I'm going to work on, my number one priorities, and then I will look to my cross-functional partners for other red priorities, and then I will push back on my directs for what they can solve themselves. Each week, I also report this up to my leader so they're aware of what's read in the business and our plan to fix it. I would love to fix the fact that we have not heard your third takeaway, Jess. Bring us home. What's number three? Win together. So this is primarily focused at our enterprise segment, but it is an actual win strategy document and call that we schedule with all of our cross-functional partners to support winning big deals. The rep will show up with a spreadsheet that has the opportunity name, has the ARR, and then down the left side, we have the med pick criteria, and across the top, we have red, yellow, green. We also have a note section. So the rep will fill out where we are by letter. So for instance, if competition is red, we'll have the rep explain why it's red. Perhaps it's a feature functionality that competition has that we don't. We will at mention the product individual in the room so they can hear directly from the rep why that is a problem in us moving the deal forward. And then as a follow-up, we will schedule one-on-one time with them to discuss the trade-offs. And even better, we will discuss the opportunity for rewards. For instance, if they prioritize something we need, then we will talk about giving them a percentage of the commission when the deal is won. So Jess, we all know that there's this point at which you have to start getting involved with product in order to get big deals done or to get those bedrock deals done that are missing something that a lot of the market needs. I'd like to dig into this dealing with product a little bit more because, you know, we can get the product work completely out of sorts by doing too many asks and then we can't innovate because we're doing too many asks for customers and all that kind of stuff. So help me take through a little bit, like what is in this sheet? Like, how do you work it? When is it required? Is it optional? Like take me through some of the logistics of this sheet. Yeah. Ultimately, it's not just focused at product. We do have other cross-functional partners there like marketing for support. Product is a big one, particularly in our space. And so the sheet really just helps us hone in on which cross-functional partner we really need to leverage to win that deal. I think more specifically in getting product buy-in, we're talking about the potential trade-offs of them 
doing something to help us win a deal. There's a couple things. One, we have a monthly meeting where we are giving customer and prospect feedback directly to the product team. They are hearing real live accounts of what happened in a deal that we won, why we won, why was the product differentiated, and also real live accounts of why we've lost deals if it's been product focused. That helps us really calibrate. We are a research-focused company, so we do a lot of internal research. That helps them continue to go back and prioritize or stackering things that what I would call make us more enterprisey. We do spend a lot of time talking about trade-offs, right? And we don't bring to the product team small things that we can win with more sales excellence and creativity versus every nice-to-have that a customer or prospect asks us for. But we really measure the trade-off in that conversation of what's in it for them, right? We have to get products buy-in. Ultimately, we don't work in silos and we want to really have that open collaboration and take their direction of what they are thinking is the true north for the product. But in having them join these win reviews, they can really see firsthand the impact of the change they're going to make, how that's going to impact this deal. But furthermore, how is it going to make us more enterprise ready? How are was this going to help us make and win more deals? And then, as I mentioned in the tips, what's in it for them? Product people are sometimes unsung heroes and they're doing their work a, a bit in a silo. They don't get commission. And so really seeing how the rep will prioritize if this is something they're going to push on by saying, okay, I'm willing to give up a percentage of commission to you if you make this a priority because I feel so passionately that this is going to help this deal, but it's also going to help us win many more deals. It's really just about that cadence of open communication between the scheduled calls and then the one-offs and then really like the accountability. When we win that deal, we celebrate the product individual too. So I remember when I walked into PAVE and I was holding up my sign, we'll pay $5 per line of code. And my CEO was pretty mad. But I love what you're doing to incentivize the product team, the engineering team to get behind the different deals you have. But I also hear the thing that you mentioned earlier, which is you can't bring every deal to the table. And there was a point where I got really high up with my team where I was like, guys, we have to stop fighting objections with new features. We're early stage, we were early stage, but now we're growing up, we cannot be fighting objections with features. We need to handle the hard objections, but then bring the right ones to the product table. How do you figure out what is something that is worth bringing to the table? Two things. One is, is this a problem that we're seeing across a myriad of deals and across a myriad of segments, right? Is this a problem that if we solve, we're going to win exponentially more deals? And then, you know, size of prize, right? Is it a very large deal? Is it a blue chip logo? Will winning the one deal set us up for success, knocking down a different industry, right? If we're selling to insurance, for example, and creating a feature or function for State Farm is going to open the door to all state and farmers and, you know, Liberty Mutual, all these things, then it's worth it. I mentioned the term trade-off a couple times, but truly that's what it is, right? Because if you're prioritizing a feature or function or something in product, that means you're deprioritizing something else. So it's really about weighting what that feature and function will do for the organization at large. So could you talk about how much of that onus falls on you as a sales leader to just collect everything from your reps and then selectively choose which deals are worth pursuing versus how much of this product IQ and this company level strategy thinking 
are you teaching to your reps? In other words, is a rep on your team expected to be able to think through those trade-offs on their own and be dangerous enough about the product roadmap so that they know what and what not to bring up? Yeah, I think certainly the latter, especially at the stage and size of company we are. You know, we have incredibly tenured reps on our team that have been in a myriad of different roles, some of them even been product slash sales engineers before. So they can think enough about the product first before saying like, oh, we absolutely need this at every whim. It's more so, again, they're thinking in that trade-off terminology. If I ask for this, is it going to help me win five deals? Or am I asking for this because I'm out of creative sales solutions to win a deal? One of the fears that people have of creating a more collaborative sales environment is that our reps aren't going to do the hard work because the easy thing is to just say yes to the buyer. Yes, we'll do that. Yes, we'll build that. Yes, we'll do that. Oh, they love us and all this kind of stuff versus that you've kind of talked about it more like you pulled out your sales tricks or the sales creativity and really done that. How do you coach your managers to help make sure that the reps aren't becoming dependent on that cross-functional start to win versus just hey, we got to just win some deals, just us here in our squad. We can't always bring in the Calvary on every deal. One, I think it's helpful to have that standardization of deal qual questions at the leader level that all of your leaders are asking the same questions at each stage in the sales process. So again, we use MedPick. So I think the number one focus for us is always identifying the pain, right? Like what problem are we solving? At the end of the day, yes, X feature, Y feature would help us win the deal. But is that the feature that's really solving the pain? And how do we quantify that pain? How do we blow that pain up into an actual dollar amount? And so I think it really starts with real great deal qualification before we get to the point of, okay, we have exhausted every idea. We've exhausted all of our sales knowledge and tools. The only thing that's going to make a difference to this customer is a product change. Or the only thing that's going to make a difference is if we offer marketing support here. We use cross-functional partners as guidance and collaborators, but not on every deal, right? These are the biggest deals. The most meaningful deals are the ones where we've earned the right to have the conversation with product to ask them to make a change. That is after an exhaustive process of going through every other step in our sales process and all of the other creative things we can do to win it. Do you really love MedPick? <laughs> you know what I really love about MedPick is pain. I think if you take nothing else away from a sales process, you have to identify why are they talking to you? What's hurting them that they need a tool or they need your company to fix? What's that problem? So I do love the idea of pain. I do love the idea of champions. I think for me, champions, it's always about constantly testing, right? Constantly putting them through different tasks to make sure that they're really your champion. I think there's a lot of steps in MedPick that, you know, help you identify what great reps do naturally and just being curious, understanding how buyers buy, understanding the ultimate executive priorities of the organization and naturally tying our product as a solution there. But I've used a myriad of these types of things before. I mean, back in the day, BANT was good enough, right? Answer those four questions and move on. I'm not married to it, but for now, I think it's helping us as we standardize an approach, at least have a true north. 
So you like it, you don't love it. You see some merits of it, probably see some weaknesses of it, but it does sound like it's a very critical part of how you manage the entire org. So how do you get a rep or a manager to buy into using that? Because like, Lord knows what's going on in those conversations. You think you know, but you probably don't really know unless you really dial in those frontline managers to, I love this, this is the value of it. So how are you transferring that conviction in MedPick? Because otherwise, y'all know what the one-on-one is. Verizon is supposed to come in this week, Jess. Like, what's happening? And we just get a basically useless information doing that. You know what I mean? So what MedPick does for us is create standardization. It creates levity as well. So if you have newer leaders and more tenured leaders, they can speak the same language. And then when the leaders are asking their reps the same thing, if they don't have enough experience or they're kind of lost in like, okay, you're telling me you feel like Verizon's going to come in or my gut's telling me it's good. They love us. But then they can go back to asking actual questions like, what is the decision process then? Where are we in the process? You said we have to go through procurement. We have to do MSA. We have to do legal. Then there's a six-day delay because they're in Germany and all of these things. Like Those are very tactical, real things, real questions we can ask to be answered to continue to move it forward versus relying on like that feeling. I think I inspire the team and the reps with the conviction of this has worked at really great companies. We've won really big deals using this process. Do I think it's the best in the world? There's probably better and I'll wait for that to come out. But until then, like these are tried and true questions we can ask that will help us really understand what's happening in the deal. All right, let's get into pain. Two ways to do pain discovery. Open-ended. Hey, your CEO walks in, writes three things on a whiteboard, breaks the red marker when he writes the third thing, storms out in a anger field. What did he or she write on the board? That's very open-ended. Close-ended is, hey, you know, at user interviews, we saw problem one, two, and three. Which one do you have? Very close-ended. So when you're doing like, I'm interested, what have you found better? What have you experimented with? Because this is the key. I think we've all come to the conclusion, if you're a good salesperson, get to good pain, you get a good deal. Get to crappy pain, you lose a good deal. So like, what have you experimented with? Like, help us take us through this pain part. I think our approach here has been more open-ended, which is more like when we do like a first call, and we're trying to do like quick discovery, what we are doing is we are trying to educate that buyer on sort of the pains we solve. So in a sense, we're trying to inception them with answering the question in the way that we want to. So we're saying like, this is what user interviews is. This is what we do. These are the problems we solve. Now let's talk about what are the pains that you are identifying in your organization And then we go through those list of pain questions. So I think it's a little bit of both. Like I would say it's like you kind of inception up front. So you kind of get in their head a little bit about the ideal pains that we solve. And then the open-endedness is where you really like get curious and you really dive deep. And then I think you take that back. And again, that's where you leverage the creativity and messaging and how like your products can fit into a solution for them. But I think it's kind of a little bit of both. Like you kind of got to lead them to water a little bit, but then you got to like be super curious and understand like 
where are we going to really like dive in? And most importantly, I think it's the pain that we try and prioritize is the one that we can identify like quantifiably. Where can we tie that to a revenue problem? For us, for example, all companies do research. All companies want to understand what their customers are thinking about their product and or solution. And if they are shipping a new feature, they need to understand like, is a customer going to pay more for that? And if they don't and they create this feature in a silo, then that's a ton of time and resources that they spent with no revenue recognition at the end of the day. So we tie to different revenue driving problems. And I think those are the pains that you really want to get into. You found it easier or harder to do close or open-ended discovery. Like open-ended discovery is dangerous because a rep has to be willing to deal with curveballs because you can get a lot of curveballs when you open up the world versus that close-ended discovery, be a master at these three talk tracks and you can probably figure out if you have a deal or not. But we all know that the way that you get that huge problem, that huge pain is with the open-ended. So have you found it harder to train people on open-ended? Like how do you tackle that? Yeah, I think it's more aligned by segment. So I don't think there just isn't bandwidth in an SMB rep's life to do every single transactional call doing open-ended discovery, open-ended identification of pain, right? I think at the commercial level, you get them super proficient on those three talk tracks. And being proficient in those three talk tracks, they can quickly qualify or even better, quickly disqualify an opportunity from moving forward, right? They have a ton they're working on. We want them focused on the highest probability to win deals. And I think getting to that by those closed-ended, this is what we do, you don't like it, let's move on, is great. You're totally right though, Mark. I don't think that is the key to winning enterprise strategic deals. I think you have to have a tenured experienced rep that can handle curveballs, that have seen all of the things before and knows what to expect when they're opening that can of worms of open-ended lines of questioning. But that also leads to much deeper levels of connection with that prospect or customer because you are really presenting as a consultant. You're really presenting as someone that cares deeply about how to help them hit their personal goals, how they're going to hit their company goals. And we might not even solve that problem, but we, again, can figure out a way to go to products and say, this is a trade-off to go win this deal. This is something that's going to move our company in a different direction. So I think it's really segment-based. What questions do you ask to make sure you got a real pain? Because I find that most reps, where they mistake is they sell to preference. Oh, we like this more than this. They sell to projects. Projects are things that are subsets of a pain, right? Or they sell to pain. And the people that sell to pain typically win. So how do you make sure that they got the right pain? Yeah, I think there's a couple of questions we ask, like, what is the pain? Why is this a pain? Like ask why three times, right? Why is this a pain? Why? Why again? Why now? We also ask like, who else cares? Why would this pain be prioritized over other pains? Why is this pain personally important to the person you're talking to? Why would this pain be personally important to the CEO or more importantly now, the CFO? Those are the types of questions we ask more like trying to get to the immediacy, trying to get to the root pain versus like you said, more of that tactical, like, yeah, it's hard to find researchers. Okay. Well, that's just like a really basic pain, but it's hard to find researchers because we're trying to develop this feature or function for our customer base. And we really need them to have experience here. And this is like the big project I'm working on. So 
all of these layers. But I think most importantly, it's like, why is this a priority? Who else needs to be involved or who else cares? How is this tied at the executive level? So Jess, I want to go all the way back to some of the other stuff that we were talking about when it comes to working cross-functionally and also starting to move of all of your sales or potentially up market. And this is pretty related to what we just talked about is a couple things need to be in line. Number one, your product needs to be able to support enterprise customers. Yeah, number two, your operations team needs to be able to support them. Number three, you need to have skilled enough sellers to be able to actually close these deals. But then lastly, number four is it needs to be a good enough opportunity for the business. And that's probably what comes first. It needs to be the right thing for the business. And so I'm curious, even if you have an example in the past, you talked about preparing your team, your company to move up market. How do I even think about in the first place if moving up market is right or not for my company or my team? Yeah, it's a great question. And one I've been asked is I've been pulled into companies to help us build sort of the strategy to go up market. And I think I look at like around seven things. You mentioned a couple of them. One, is there demonstrable product market fit? Are we selling our product, right? And are we renewing our customers? Is there a push or is there a pull to go up market? Are more enterprise logos coming inbound, wanting to understand how we can solve problems for them versus us pushing our way up market? By the way, I've done both. There isn't a right or wrong there, but I think it's much easier if there's a pull versus a push. And I think it starts for me with always like research, which it's like understanding our current customers. Why did they buy? What would keep them to continue to renew with us? What do they wish we had? You know, those companies are also growing in size. And then it's also, again, we're a research-based company. So we've done this. We've actually researched large enterprise organizations asking what would it take to become a customer? What is the product need to have, et cetera, right? And so we sort of have like a basis to go off of. And then more internally, it's do we have the team and talent that can actually perform enterprise sales motion? Do we have people that we could teach? Do we have people that are tenure that have done it at other organizations that can help up-level the rest of the org? And then I look at process, right? So what is our current process today? If we've started in a more SMB transactional motion, comments before, like, sure, we can do the identifying pain and like, here's the three things we solve, but do we have a process where we can actually up-level conversations and go to enterprise logo, VPs of product and sound like we know what we're talking about, right? And that we understand their unique problems by industry. Do we sound like we know, you know, we're the leader in the market? And then I think it's all of the other things, like do we have the cross-functional support to help us go up market, right? Internally, those processes. Do we have marketing that can help us execute on ABX strategies? Do we have sales engineers that can do more technical level demos? Do we have value consultants that can create sort of those ROI calculators and business value reports that we need to sell to the CFO? And are we priced in a way that would make sense? Is it easy to do business with, right? Are we flexible and agile to do a land and expand or do we need to do a proof of concept? Or can we do an enterprise license agreement? So I sort of go through those seven evaluations to determine whether or not we're going to be successful. And ultimately, if you have those things in place, I think you're ready to sort of go for it. Jess, we both know it doesn't work. We do. That's when you go to a board meeting and the board says, you know what we really should consider doing? Let's go up market. So Jess, next quarter, can you please show us some momentum going up market? That does not work. 
That does not work. No. And that this is where this comes in really handy because you take this to the board and you say, look at all of the like seven things I've evaluated that suggest we are not ready yet. Let's continue to win focus. Let's win SMB. Let's win mid-market before we feel confident that we can go up market because we've both been there, Mark. You lose one large enterprise logo and you can sink the whole ship, right? You put all these resources, product resources, company resources and focus into winning one one large logo, you're sunk. Yeah. And the pressure gets to be, why aren't we performing in enterprise like we are in SMB or mid-market when it's a completely different animal? I had my VP of enterprise, his name was Chris Albro. He used to say this all the time, like the company has to have an enterprise state of mind. Everybody from the SDR and the support person all the way up to the CEO has to be thinking, how do I help us win the enterprise? And if it's just the sales team, the sales team will fail. Like 100%, they will fail. It has to be marketing, product, legal, everybody ready to make some sacrifices and do some hard work because otherwise you're just going to go back in the boardroom the next quarter and they're going to be like, why aren't you up market yet? And you're just going to be like, I don't know why, but you do know why. It's just you're on an island trying to figure it out by yourself. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, I certainly saw that in scaling sales loft and I know you saw it scaling outreach, but we called it being enterprisey. <laughs> How enterprisey can we be? And exactly right. Winning the enterprise is a company feat. It's not a sales feat. Boom. Well, Jess, this was outstanding. We talked deal reviews, we talked working with product, we talked discovery, and unfortunately, we have to move to the final question. So the final question is, we've talked about a lot of good habits that sales leaders can exhibit. Let's talk about a bad one. What is one bad habit that every sales leader in the world should break today to make the whole world a little bit better? There are a lot of bad habits, but I think one of my biggest bad habits is prioritizing other people, the cross-functional partners initiatives over my own to seem more collaborative. I think there is a certain part where you have to take ownership of what's going to move your organization or your direct reports forward. I'm certainly all about collaboration, but sometimes you have to prioritize what you need to get done over helping others get what they need to get done. Well, just the last thing I'll leave the audience with is CHRO came and did a fireside chat with our team once, and they said they're two of the most successful types of people at this company. Type number one is the people that help people. And then type number two is the people that also help people. And one of them will be the most massively successful group of people and the other will likely fail at this company. And it's all about who are the types of people that you are helping because you cannot solve every single problem for the organization. And you need to pick the types of problem and the people that you're going to help at your company. So I totally agree with you. Everyone hang on for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Cheers. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. 
Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All righty, Mark, what'd you think? Listen, I think Jess is one of those sales leaders that has a bag of tricks. And I think she's constantly adding to that bag of tricks and she pulls them out for specific situations and has a very thoughtful approach of how to do the very complicated thing of pulling a bunch of people together into an org that have a bunch of departments surrounding them and get everybody kind of moved together as one. Yeah, it's one of those things that, I think I struggled with a decent amount and I learned later on of, you know, trying to do anything on your own as a sales organization doesn't work. A lot of people will say, oh, sales has all this power because you get to choose the customers. And the reality is like, no, you don't. You can sign the wrong customers. You can put reps in a segment with no product support. You can put reps in position where they're signing deals and they all churn in customer success's hands. And so if everyone's not rowing in the same direction, it's totally one of those things that's going to be a massive ulcer. And sales is actually going to be a thorn in the side of the organization, even though you're trying to fight a good fight for your own team. Yep. Alrighty, folks. Well, everyone go connect with Jess on LinkedIn and hang on for the next episode on The Leadership Show. Cheers. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.